Hello everyone, welcome to the Obstacle Races New Zealand podcast. So how have you been, Stephen? Good then, Max. Um, finally out of lockdown, day two. Been out for lunch, breakfast and dinner. <laughs> My Three days, sorry, three days. Uh, getting out and about. Uh, no, not much else. Uh, been doing a little bit of running. I signed up for the uh, 12 days of Christmas, which is... Um, 78 kilometres in 12 days. So I've been uh, running around one of my local parks. I think up a few kilometres there. Hmm. I signed up to that as well. I've been okay. doing pretty, pretty poorly though. Hey. <laughs> I haven't run very far. So you're on track? Ah, uh, yep, yep. I started at 12 k's of coming down, thinking that if I start at 1k one day, then two the next, and three the next, then four the next, by the end of the week or middle of next, um, well, it finishes on Sunday, um, I'll have lost interest. So I started the other way, higher and getting smaller. So I've only got, uh, I think, 6Ks tomorrow and then it just sort of goes downhill from there. So it's really, it's a lot easier to get out of bed. Oh, nice. That's how they calculated the 78, wasn't it? it was so, but also, day. sorry? It was 78 over 12 days. Um, yeah, I signed up to that as well. I'm not. I'm not really on track to complete it. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm going to do. And the other I thing, I need to add on an extra. extra I signed up. Week. I'm doing the the goat, which is the Ruapau Mount Ruapau uh, trail run uh, in early January. So I'm just trying to get a, a few kilometres in because I'll have a, a, a long taper <laughs> over the Christmas break. I think and do very little. Mm. So this week we're having a chat with Scotty Thornton, um, potentially one of New Zealand's um, better or best or um, OCR champions, I suppose, runners. Um, yeah, I put up a post on on Facebook about upcoming guests on the podcast and a little bit of brief, you know, one sentence about who they are, and I described Scotty Thornton as New Zealand's greatest obstacle racer. And when I wrote it, I put a question mark after it. And like, and, and right as I posted it, I'm like, oh, I'll just delete that. <laughs> so I posted it as New Zealand's greatest obstacle racer. And um, I think uh, oh, so, someone else who had been trying to get on the podcast commented on that and pointed yeah, out the title. I'm like, oh, so I think the title might have to made some comments on it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it could be true. I mean, yeah, there's a question mark, but it could very well be true. Just hearing about what he's done and his exploits and his racing around the world and just having achieving high results around the world. Achieving well. high results, yeah. And I, I put him into a couple of like search play engines like yancycamp.com, which is the Spartan races. He comes up, he's well ranked there. He's done really well on that. Um, and then Tough Mudder, he's, um, well, he's the only Kiwi that I know that's podiumed or been up there right at the end of that so and then he went to iceland and represented new zealand there mm. but yeah that's that's crazy hearing about the experiences there mm. awesome experiences but just he certainly has Go for it. stories and um talking to a couple of his friends they told me that he was super nervous coming on and he didn't didn't have anything to say because his life had been so uninteresting and uh, <laughs> i think it was one of the one of the better podcasts we've had. He was very interesting when we got him talking. Totally, yeah. Well, it was very good. We had a um, throughout the interview. We have a list of 
his races, his obstacle races. Yes. Yep. So asking him about his races, and that was really cool to just draw out his experiences and um, and hearing his story about oh, I can't remember what it was a marathon. He ran a marathon. He the Hawks Bay Marathon. That's how he got flights to get to <laughs> Iceland. We won't spoil it and tell you how that happened, but that is was well was funny. Yes, it's a good part he, to listen to. Yeah, he has got some good stories. All right. Well. Um, We'll finish up here. Uh, next week, we'll have a bit of a rundown on Alpha Challenge. You're off to run in that. Yeah, next this weekend. So next podcast, we'll talk about it. And we'll see see how that goes, hopefully, fingers crossed. And, uh, and we'll have a little bit of a delve into the Spartan World Championships in Abu Dhabi. That looked, uh, looked interesting. Um, the little bits I've seen on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, if people haven't listened to our last podcast yet with Jeremy Robinson. He's a Kiwi based over in the Middle East, and we talk about Spartan World Championships. Yeah, if people want to go back and listen to that, it's, it's worth a listen. Yeah, he was another interesting person. All right, without further ado, we will cut over to Scotty Thornton. Joining us today, we've got uh, Scotty Thornton. Um, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, we're doing good. Um, yeah, we we're just talking before we start recording, actually, that just saying you, we asked you to send through a list of the events um, you've entered, and yeah, it's 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 mind blowing. You've <laughs> got some um, phenomenal results, like top ten results and top three results, and and some really big OCR events. Um, yeah, I mean, is OCR your main sport, or do you do other? races and other endurance events as well um i haven't actually done an ocr race in uh probably close to three years now i just um i mean we haven't been able to for two years with the way the world is but um i did a lot of them in like a three-year span from about 2016 to the end of 2018 and um was then looking to kind of branch out and try something else before going back to it but haven't definitely want to go back to it just haven't really had the chance yet but yeah I, it was only uh yeah about three years that i i did it i just kind of chucked everything at it for that amount of time okay so what were, what were you doing before ocr you... um i played a lot of like team sports at school like i did you know cricket rugby hockey um squash kind of things like that um and did most of that through uni as well but then i i started training for a marathon um at the end of uni um and i got a knee injury and so i couldn't run for about two years um so i started taking up triathlons so just doing the the swimming and the cycling part of it um and then in um 2015 i had a few mates that were living in aussie after after university and they they would signed up for just a, a standard Tough Mudder and we kind of organised a, a bit of a lads trip to go over and catch up and do that as part of it. And that was kind of how it started and did did two or three of those with them over over in Sydney and Brisbane over the, the span of the year and always thought they were really fun. And um, but I kind of found them a bit easy because my, my mates weren't that fit, so they were more interested in the, the drinking part afterwards. Um, so I started looking into more 
um, okay, just guess bigger in competitive races. Um, and then just got really lucky that my flatmate at the time played rugby with Matt Ainsley and told me that he'd been over at this crazy thing in the desert called World's Toughest Mudder. And then I got introduced to him and then it all kind of kicked off after that. He led you down the wrong path, or the right <laughs> path, one or the other. Yeah, it was, he was he was always joking that if I that if I ever made it, he um he had to get rights for finding me and being my my first coach. <laughs> well, before we dive too deep into that, um, so you're a Kiwi boy, born and bred where? Uh, Northland. My parents have a dairy farm between Fungadai and Dargaville, so grew up grew up there on the farm and um came to Auckland for boarding school, then went down to Dunedin for uni, and then back to Auckland now for the last seven or eight years. Okay. You said you played a lot of team sports and that because of a, your knee injury. Then, so you've got your knee sorted. I know you, just before we come on here, you said you're suffering with a knee injury again. <laughs> we just had a cortisone yeah. shot, but yeah, uh, um, still yeah. Got... <laughs> had the had the cortisone injection yesterday, so I have to wait and see how that goes. But um, <clears throat> I've kind of had a lots of ongoing injuries for for years, but the the knees the the issue at the moment but um i think we'll be fine i just yeah just kind of taking a year off at the moment to let, let the body recover before i bash it up a bit more but yeah i've kind of done everything i've <laughs> pretty much done everything done ankles knees back shoulders yeah kind of most of the way up you're knocking up a few k's on your uh your push bike i see on strava yeah yeah um that's kind of been a my go-to to give my knee a break, especially with lockdown, with all the, the streets being a bit empty. You can just take over the road and go where you want. So I've been kind of doing about 150k a week, just kicking around on that. So, and then you got into OCR, like you said, you went to uh, Oz and did a few races. Yeah. Um, and according to your list, this, you went to, you did the Spartan Ultra in 2016, which you became got second place in yeah so that was that was my first competitive race in like september 2016 so matt i met uh matt ainsley at the the xterra trail series that that year like a few months earlier and he introduced me to um to liam and abe dyer and kind of the rest of that that group of people and they had all booked to go over and do this race so i was just kind of the the tag along and joined their group and didn't didn't know any of them really and just followed them over and they I was kind of felt like I was completely out of my depth and didn't really know what I was doing and and then Abe and Liam said to me at the start of the race that they were expecting me to get top 10 and and <laughs> and I didn't believe them at all because you're kind of looking around at all these athletic intimidating people on the start line you're thinking I can't compete with these guys and um it was quite funny I still remember it being nervous and not really knowing how because it's a long race it's well it's a, it's a marathon with 60 plus obstacles in it so you can't exactly go out of the gates firing but it was about 5k into it and I was running with Liam and Abe and they basically turned to me and said what the hell are you still doing here you should be miles in front of us don't worry about us just go and have fun so I I took off after that and I didn't see them again <laughs> and I I had no idea what position I was in for the entire race because they had the the ultra started first, but they had a beast, a super, and a sprint all running at the same time on various parts of the course. 
and the only way you could tell who you were actually competing against was the little coloured wristband. But after 42Ks, they our one was grey, so they all kind of come out brown or just muddy. Um, and so I crossed the finish line not knowing, not even thinking I'd done that good because I didn't know what to expect. Um, and I asked the person, um, I guess, like, what position I was, and they asked me um, how many laps I did, and I said two, and they were like, oh, I, I don't actually know if anyone's finished that yet. <laughs> um, and I went over to the the timing tent, and someone had finished about two minutes before me, and he was the guy that beat me. Um, but the annoying thing I found out later was that um, I failed the last obstacle before the finish line, which was the spear throw, but I was so tired it took me about five minutes to to, yeah. to do the burpees so i was actually winning the race and had no idea and then got over to, he he got his spear and and overtook me and won yeah. oh, well. how do you find those um the ultras and that, that do that when you go with all the other people because i've spoken to a few people and they say you you run along and then you've got to keep an eye on not follow the person in front of you know where you're mm. going because you a sprint will go off to the left and then a super takes off to the right somewhere else You've got to keep going. Have you had any where you've turned the wrong way and missed object obstacles? Or I had one. Um, they kind of do it better now, and they usually have beast and ultra beast on the on the same day, and they have a sprint and super on on a separate day. But that that was just a one day thing, so they had everything going at once. Um, and now they have the the ultra people wear like a kind of like a purple singlet kind of thing that shows so you can see the yep. distinction between the who's racing what um but there was a race i did in bright in 2017 um and it was the super so it was supposed to be they'd marked it as being about 13 or 14k um and we got me and a guy were basically overtaking each other the whole time just whatever strength obstacle you were you'd kind of we just keep on going past each other and we got to the end at about 10k and just before we're about to do the last obstacle the um i think we're probably coming about fifth or sixth at this point and the the marshal kind of went you guys are here too early you you've obviously missed something and we went no we haven't look there's there's 20 30 people behind us everyone's done the same thing and what had happened is there was at about the 8k mark there was supposed to be a what we thought was a river crossing because there was a you went down to the river and there was a arrow on the other side but we, everyone crossed the river, but the 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 first two people who were winning and coming second, they knew the course and they went down to the river and then ran along the bank. And that was supposed to take you to this other part of the course. And there was like an extra five or six K of like 10 more obstacles and going up a giant hill and doing a sandbag carry and then coming back down the other side of the river. But we just missed that. And we, we just did the back half of the course and then, and then, Everyone except for these first two people got told they had to go out and do the extra six k that they'd missed. <laughs> so there was there was literally only two people in the entire course that did did it right, and everyone else did did a we were lining up for a trifecta. So everyone was trying to take the the fourteen k race and the six k sprint that was after that a bit easy. We ended up doing twenty k straight off the bat because we everyone went the wrong way. <laughs> God, it would have been a mess in timing and all that too. Oh uh, yeah, it was. Work. It just it looked ridiculous at the the end of the day when they did the um, at the award ceremony and they give the first place, second place, and third place, and there was about half an hour's difference between second and third in the timing, yeah. <laughs> just because <laughs> the first two knew what they were doing and just left everyone behind. 
So where else? Uh, what else we got? We've got Whistler. You've been to Whistler a couple of times. They were with. Oh no, that's Whistler's not the one out of Vegas, though, is it? No, that's in Utah. No. Yeah. So the the first year we went to Vegas to do the world's toughest. It was basically the the same people went back the next year to Whistler um, because that's when Tough Mudder brought in their their kind of Holy Grail side of things, where they had their um, the tougher race, which is like the 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 standard course they do, but timed with positions, and then the toughest, which was the eight hour version. And so okay. that was the fir- their first year they brought that in, and you had to do an eight hour one to qualify as a contender for the world's toughest. So we all lined up the Whistler one because it was the only one not in America. So it was somewhere different. And we went over and, um, yeah, there was seven or eight of us. And we hired a house on the ski slope for a few days and went up there. And um, the the race itself was on the Whistler Olympic Park, so where they had the, the Winter Olympics, like, uh, I don't know how long ago, a few years ago. Yep. Um, and so part of the course was, like, running up and down the the ski slopes and all those crazy long jumps and things they have and that was <laughs> that was one of the most insane races we'd done because um the time of year it was in canada was like the bears were all i can't remember if it was getting ready for hibernation or coming out of hibernation but there were there were bears around anyway um so everyone had to run with a whistle on them in case they saw one and then there were they had um people with dogs kind of patrol patrolling through the through the forest all night trying to keep the bears away <laughs> and there was at the at the end of the race there was a a few that because the race started at midnight and went to eight in the morning that was just to add a bit more to it so it was it was pitch black and you're just running through the bush and hoping that the sound you can hear is someone else you're competing against and not a bear a bear following you mm. wow. there was a there was a few people um towards the end of the race that um, ran up the top of the, one of the ski slopes and saw a few little bear cubs roaming around and blew their whistle and they ran off and quickly sprinted away. It's always something that makes me grateful to live in New Zealand. Mm. Like you can go running in the bush and not need to worry about any sort of dangerous animal, or well, not too much, trying to not, kill you. Not, and, yeah, you're not thinking yeah. about some mountain lion or something jumping out and trying to chase you. It's it's like, yeah. a, it's like a tui or a possum at worst. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Have you ever had any experiences competing overseas, like running into, you know, wildlife and just um, you should do it ultra runs. Like you go so far out as well, like you know, away from people. That <laughs> I um, at the start of this year, I did a because um, I was training for a hundred mile, the Tarawera hundred mile ultra, um, and I was doing a training run near my um, parents' farm, so just kind of running through around the gravel roads up there because it's in the middle of nowhere, so it's basically the roads are like running on trails um and i went off-road to do a 10 or so k section in the bush and about a k into it i ran into a wild boar on the track oh yeah, and, in new zealand to worry about wouldn't it? yeah and i did not expect that at all and we both kind of stopped and looked <laughs> at each other and um thankfully it was it was actually pretty small so it got scared of me and ran off but it did did worry me that it was so small that mum or dad might be close by. So I um, ended up getting my phone out of my pocket and blasting some music to kind of warn everyone that I was coming just to, <laughs> I didn't want to run into another one. Cause at, at that point I was about 40 or 50 K into the run. So I wasn't going to, I wasn't in the position to outrun it if I had to. No, that's, that's probably the only time I've ever come across something 
I've seen a few possums and and stuff at night when you're doing it. And um, during the Tarawera race itself, I actually saw a wallaby, but that's not exactly scary. It's just kind of a little thing on the trail. Definitely no bears or lions or anything like that's overseas. No snakes in Aussie or anything like that. Yeah, we'll have to come back and ask you about the Tarawera Ultra. Yeah, if you want to ask him more about OCR for the meantime, Stephen. Yeah, well, I was going to say, so you did Whistler a couple of times by the looks? Yeah, the, the, both those races were on the, the same day. So the, oh. the, tougher, the tougher was in the morning and the toughest was at night. So how long is the tougher? Uh, 18, 20K. So you did 20k in the morning. You did 30 miles that night. Yep. So yeah, went. Um, actually, I, I I went to go home and have a sleep, but you kind of too amped up, so just ended up staying up till till midnight and doing the race, and then crashing for about a day afterwards. But yeah, um, the two races on the same day. Mm-hmm. And then you went back again to Canada the next year for the o, uh, OCRWC after doing the bright weekend yeah so um would have been lovely being on the plane after <laughs> doing a trifecta yeah so it was um i was actually quite lucky i wasn't planning on doing bright at all but the the tougher that i did in whistler was me and matt were the only ones that did it and we just wanted to do it because then we got that tough mutter holy grail that was the only way we could kind of tick that off um but because the the eight hour toughest was that night, all the serious people were doing that, and so we turned up to the the Whistler one and weren't going to take it seriously, and then noticed that there wasn't really that many people and none of them looked that fit. So Matt kind of leaned over and said to me before we started, he's like, he's like, bro, there's there's prize money for this. You should have a you should have a go at it. And so after a few k, I kind of realised I was at the front and um, had a bit of a go at it and ended up winning it and won five hundred US dollars. And I was like, and then I figured it out, and that that covered my flights and my entry fee for Bright. So I just added that onto the start of it. <laughs> so it was it was never part of the plan. It just kind of worked out. Um, but yeah, so had the the Bright uh, trifecta in October, and then the day after that, went back to Melbourne and flew to Toronto, and had about two days there, and then made my way kind of two hours north to where to what's called the Blue Mountains, which is where the World Champs was. And that was, again, just a, a ski field, but they'd converted it to a OCR race and for just made everyone run up and down the ski slopes the whole time, which was just mud by the end of it because there was thousands of people there. So you did the, the 3K and the 15K Pro Division in yep. there, and, then you, and you also did the relay team with a couple of other guys. Yeah. So, do you guys do you know how the the OCR World Champs is how they run it? Because it's quite different to Spartan and Tough Mudder and um, a little bit. Yeah, I've never done it, but we've, um, familiar. But yeah, explain it. Yeah. Um, so people listening um, won't be. So familiar. they have they usually run it over three days, and they have a three k course. The next day is a fifteen, and then the next day they have a team relay, which is kind of about eight k. And they split that up into three sections, so it's oh, four sections. So you have a, a speed section, a strength section, and a technical section, and then a teamwork section for the last kind of two or three obstacles, which is usually just a giant wall that you have to get on each other's shoulders and lift each other over. And so, yeah, the, the 3K on the first day, they have it 
um there's so many different categories because there's they have male and female pros and then they have age group basically split into five five age brackets so like 20 to 25 25 to 30 and they go up to like 60 65 so there's there's lots of different fields um but everyone starts off with a a wristband and it's not like spartan or anything that there's penalties if you fail an obstacle it's you can have as many attempts at an obstacle as you want but you have to pass it to go through and if you can't pass it they literally come along with a pair of scissors and cut your wristband off and you can keep doing the rest of the course but anyone that beats you who um who finishes with a wristband is automatically in front of you so if you well, if, you, like if you finish but your wristband got cut off because you failed an obstacle you're kind of like they still give you the medal and you're finishing stuff but you're kind of classed as an incomplete so it's only the people who keep the wristband who complete every single obstacle in the course that kind of counters the technical finishes uh, and so oh, you can't yeah. get that wristband back by doing a penalty loop or anything like that it's no once it's gone they, um, you can you can try an obstacle you can spend two hours at an obstacle and try it 50 times but as soon as you tell the the marshal that you you give up they come along with a pair of scissors and cut it off and that's that's it so that's so for most people the goal is not the time or the place it's just to to finish with the band the band's more important than to most people than the medal that's that's your proof that you you completed everything mm -hmm. it's a cool system yeah it works really well um and yeah because you can it's not like spartan where you get like one shot at the spear throw or something and then if you miss it you that's it it's um yeah i was staying with someone who was a marshal at one of the one of the obstacles and he said there were people that literally spend hours at things and sometimes they'll they'll have you know five or six goes at it and they'll stop and they'll sit down for 10 minutes and they'll shake their arms out and they'll get their breath back and then they'll go again and They'll they'll watch other people do it and learn some techniques and it must cause awful bottlenecks though if you at some, they, some at most of the obstacles they have a I guess they have what they call like a retry lane so it's these lanes are for people who are just getting here and it's their first attempt so they can go straight through and if you're if you've failed you have to go to the far end of the obstacle and and use these ones so it's you're only holding other people up who have failed. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. So the the one the that year in Canada that was because they bring obstacles from all the different races around the world. So it's like they have kind of like sponsored obstacles. So there'd be this one from this specific race in England, and then this race from France will have its obstacle. And sometimes you'll get like a a company will sponsor one. So you'll get um I can't oh it was like a brand called Force Five who like created heaps of with yep. little hook and ball holds so they would they would make a rig out of just random things like that and uh, they have a lot of multi-rigs so there'll be like a rope and then a and then a ring and then a little bar and then something else to balance on and um every day they would so for the 3k course they'd have that rig set up in one way and you'd learn it and be like cool yep i did that i remember what to do the next day you'd get there and they'd switch all the switch all the things around no, that's cool. So they they constantly cool. changed it. Screwing with you. Yep. And I see you did both got a hundred percent and you got a hundred percent for your uh so you got your three bands and brought them home. Yep, yep, got kept all my bands. That was that was the main goal, so I was pretty happy with that. 
And then I just for I, a little that, bit of fun, you did a charity run after. Yeah, they um, they put it on every year, cause basically because the course is set up. They um, they open it up to the to the volunteers and the marshals to 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 run the course who have been like kind of looking after it for the week. Oh. Um, but you, you can pay an extra. I think it was like fifty or sixty dollars, and go run it again, and you get you get another medal and all that sort of stuff. But all the because the course is already set up and everyone's just doing it for fun, they they pick a charity and all the money goes to that. So it was quite a quite a cool thing they do every year. Sounds real good. Sounds like you had a fun time there, actually. Yeah, it was. Um, the whole trip was kind of crazy because I I thought I was just going over by myself, and but um, when I did that that race in Whistler, I because we said we started the race at midnight um after about an hour i was running with a girl and her um her head torch just stopped working her batteries ran flat so i ran with her for the next kind of hour and helped her helped her through the course um had no idea who she was and she didn't know who i was but she ended up coming second um and reached out to me the next day saying thanks so much i wouldn't have been able to get on the podium if it wasn't for you um and so i kept in contact with her and um, her and a few of her other good Canadian friends were, were all going over to the world champs. So they, they hired a house and I went and stayed with, I think, 15 Canadians in a random house that I'd never really met before. And they were, they were great. They were the most welcoming people. And a lot of them were really good as well. Some of them um, ended up winning their age groups. And one of the girls came second, I think, in the pro category. And they were all, yeah, that was cool. And then I'd kind of, networked myself into meeting all these kind of professionals overseas just by chance so that was cool yep okay so october that's the beginning of uh summer isn't it uh, winter for them isn't it so it would have been starting to it was kind of autumnish. it was yeah it was it was cooling off a bit but it wasn't it wasn't, wasn't too snow bad. around or anything no nah, no nah, there was no snow Yes, like we talk about a bit later on. Um, so then you went to the world's toughest mudder again, in which was 80 miles. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so where was that one that, in 2017? Uh, that was in Vegas again, exact same place. Oh, so all the world's toughest have been in, in Vegas, were they? Um, they did four there in a row. Yep. So I think I, I did the last two there. I think 14, 2014, 15, 16 and 17 were there. Yep. I, I did I did um, 16 and 17 and then after that they moved it to Atlanta I think but yeah I didn't do those ones but 80 miles is a fair old way too yeah that that was that was kind of the goal because um, with world's toughest they have um, you get the 24-hour headband for still being on the course at 24 hours which is basically everyone's goal but then they have um, kind of you have a, a race bib with your number on it and if you get to 50 miles so 10 laps you get um a bronze one and if you get to 75 miles you get a silver one and then if you get to 100 you get an orange one which is kind of like a handful of people ever have done it kind of thing but yeah so i the year before i got 70 so i was like i was one off getting that silver one so my goal was to i didn't want to go back and just get it i wanted to basically do a victory lap in the silver one so 80 yeah. was the goal so i could so i could get the silver one and then kind of take my time and show it off on course and get myself a photo crossing the line with the with the silver one so that was that that 
the whole race was kind of ended up being perfect. Yeah, 12th overall, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. So. Um, the the girl I met in Whistler, she she um, she came third woman, but she was 13th overall, so she was just a few minutes behind me. Behind you. So that was that was quite cool. We we crossed we like overtook each other a few times on course and kept each other company a bit. And then the next couple you've got here were the Brisbane Spartan Ultra and the toughest mudder in uh, in Brisbane. Yeah. So that was um I actually <laughs> I feel like I kind of go through the same cycle every year, which I do these big races at the end of a year and then get injured for a few months and then kind of come back in April or May and start again. But that's basically what had happened there that I'd done the um world's toughest in twenty seventeen and <laughs> um you know, spent a day running around the desert doing all these crazy obstacles um and didn't get injured and then came back to Auckland and went for a casual run around the footpath and tripped and split my knee open and ended up with a few stitches in it and and couldn't <laughs> run for the next two months. <laughs> that was a bit annoying. Um but the the Brisbane Ultra was my my kind of next thing after taking a few months to recovery and building things back up. Um but by then I was already eyeing up the the Iceland race. So I knew that for that Brisbane one I just needed to I just needed to finish the ultra to to qualify for it. So I wasn't too worried about placings or anything. So I just need I just cruised through that a little bit. I didn't go out to try and win it or place it, but I still ended up doing better than I thought. Mm, fourth. That's pretty good. Mm. They they changed that one quite a bit and they because it was at the exact same place that I did my first one two years earlier and got second. So I was like, cool, I think I remember most of the course. Um, but in the in the middle, they made us do <laughs> probably still one of the hardest things I've ever done in an obstacle course race, which they, they gave us a sandbag and they made us run around like a kilometre track that had like a few nets and walls on it. And we had to take the, the bag with us the whole way. But the last 400 metres of it was you'd hold the sandbag, do a burpee, stand up and then jump and then and then go down and do another burpee and you just had to you had to do that for the whole way and it just there were, a lot of people, broad drums. there were a lot of people that didn't start the second lap oh. and they just they just gave up after that um 100 meters of the sandbag geez i've, I've done like 100 meters burpee it was no way it, it, was, it was it took like half an hour to do this like like less than a kilometer <laughs> And then we spent the we spent the next well next lap of the course the next twenty one k thinking I've got to save some energy because that's how we finish the race, and then we we got to the end and they they told us that they they'd canned that for the second lap because um, too many people were going to be disqualified for being timed out, <laughs> so we'd saved all this energy, got to the end, and then we just got to walk over the line. Ooh. Yeah, that was that was that was brutal. That was. That was very hard. And so was the toughest mudder on at the same time or would you have to go back? Was that later in the year? Uh, it was about three weeks later. Oh, okay. Um, yep. So <laughs> um, I I think I did. The, the Spartan race came back to Auckland, had a week off. The next week I went to um, 
Napier and did the Hawks Bay Marathon. And then the weekend after that, I flew to, <laughs> I, I think I was only in Aussie for about 30 hours and I didn't sleep. So I flew in the Saturday morning, um, went and caught up with Matt Ainsley and kind of sat on his couch for the afternoon. And then the race started at midnight again, because it was that kind of format. Um, so did the race, uh, went back to the city, had a shower at his hotel again, and then jumped on a plane and went home. <laughs> <laughs> Dedication for you. It was it still didn't have a you know, reasonably fresh out of uni and didn't have a lot of money. So you're like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to spend money for a hotel when I'm not yeah. even going to stay in it. So I just mm. thought I'd save myself the two hundred bucks and fly home. Comes right home, yeah. Well, yeah. It's only a short flight too, so I suppose not so yeah. bad. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Mm. Oh, the next one you've got is you're back at the OCR Worlds again in England this time. Yep. So that was that was a lot different to the year before in Canada. Canada was very hilly and it was it was a lot more like a, a mountain run with obstacles thrown in between it. And that year in in England they same format. So we had the first day was three K, the next day was the fifteen, and then the team and charity one on the last day um the the 3k was pretty standard compared to the the year before but the the 15k they'd put 100 obstacles in it i was gonna say you've got 100 obstacles on 15 kilometers it would have been pretty much obstacle to obstacle <laughs> yeah it was there were very few stretches where you would kind of actually get a rhythm of running it was kind of every two or three hundred meters you were doing something but it was a lot of them weren't like big rig type things they had a lot of that near the end but some of them would just be like hurdles or little walls or cargo nets or balance beam type things there were there weren't a lot of things that massively taxed you especially in a row but there was still it was just a lot to get through it wasn't there were people who were definitely runners on the course and by the back end you were just overtaking them because they'd they would try and sprint between obstacles to catch up and then they'd burn themselves out it was a lot more it was a lot more tactical you couldn't just kind of get in a rhythm and stretch your forearms out between obstacles because you're always going straight from one thing to another and looking at the photos that hayden wells brought back it looked like it was pretty wet and miserable too he he went the year after me so oh did I got, he go 19 did he yeah Sorry, um so i got really lucky and it was even the, the english people over there said it was like a a weirdly long hot summer for them and we basically had blue skies and no cloud the entire weekend oh, okay. so we, we got really lucky there's no way most people would have finished that that course with that density of obstacles if it was wet it was just too it was just too taxing okay yeah i think they still uh, i should have looked up the numbers they do they do have them but it was it's roughly about a 60 percent overall that complete with the bands yeah and then it, it obviously changes with like age groups and things like that but overall it's yeah it's around that 60 70 percent of people that actually complete it all uh, that's still pretty good it's, uh... yeah i mean it's it's supposed to be a world champ event so everyone there's trained there and placed or done reasonably well in some other race to get there so the next one's the spartan world ultra in iceland but before we get there we've been told to quiz you on the Hawks Bay Marathon (laughs) 
and how you got to the world championships. Who told you that? <laughs> oh, well, I'll let you work that out. <laughs> yeah, I'll hit Liam up about that later. No, it wasn't him. It was it Matt? Matt. Huh. Don't forget, um, before you go to Iceland, ask him about the Hawksbow Marathon and how he got to. So, um, whatever, oh, it must have been like end of March so that year was was easter and i went down to queensland uh queenstown to see a, a friend from uni and on the way back from the the flight within new zealand i was reading their magazine and they had a um a little promo competition in there saying that because um in new zealand sponsored the hawks bay marathon that um if you could if you could the competition was if you could run the marathon with a suitcase tell us how you would do it and how long you reckon it would take you so I just said oh, I'd just tie some string around it and wear it like a backpack and run um, and didn't think anything of it. And then um, the week before the race, I got a call from someone at New Zealand saying, how's the marathon training going? <laughs> and um, I was like, oh, it's it's going pretty good. I, I actually did one last weekend at the, the Spartan race overseas. And they said they'd Googled me and found... Um, my like tough mutter results and some other things, and they said they they wanted to pick someone who they thought would actually finish the race. So they gave me a free entry to the to the marathon, and I had to turn up the day before and get presented with some um, some Air New Zealand host people came dressed up in their uniforms and gave me a, a carry on size suitcase that they'd put some backpack straps on and put an airplane seatbelt on and things like that. And I the the suitcase had a lock combination on the side of it and they said there's there's something inside for you if you get to the end we'll give you the combination once you cross the finish line um and so i uh, the only rule was that i i wasn't allowed to wheel the suitcase on the course because it was a hazard for other people but i had to take it off in the last 100 meters and wheel it across the line because they wanted that photo <laughs> um so i wheeled it across the line I was actually doing reasonably well until about the 30k mark, but it's um, all the straps started to loose and the bag became really, like, started hanging really low. So I had to keep stopping and adjusting everything. And I think I still did the marathon in roughly three and a half hours. And yeah, got to the end and crossed the line, and they had um, all the like support staff and like someone dressed up in a captain's uniform and everything there. And they um, gave me the combination and I opened it, and it was uh, flights for two anywhere in the world. <laughs> well there you go so um me and my my partner at the time we yeah planned a holiday to iceland and got there for free basically so you got a marathon for free yeah did you keep, so the, was, keep the carry-on leg uh, carry-on bag as well yeah i've still got it it's up it's up behind me <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't get used for anything but it's yeah. um but yeah it's a cool little <laughs> souvenir to have i guess the story as well yeah that was that was funny it was um people's reactions on course were hilarious because for one they didn't expect someone to be running with it they, they they told me i could take all day and i could i didn't even have to carry it myself the whole way as long as i carried it at the start line and at the finish line and i was like oh no nah, i want to do it properly so at one point i was um I was looking like I was on track to do kind of like a 315 marathon and finish in like the top 20. 
and they they thought like there was a bit of a joke and that i'd somehow like tricked the system and <laughs> i'd got someone to like i don't know put it in a car and drop it off for me somewhere or mm-hmm. um and everyone I was running towards, it just kind of looks like you're wearing a, a hydration pack because all they see is the, the shoulder straps. And then you get beside them and there's this this giant suitcase sticking out the back of you and they didn't really know what was happening. Uh. Yeah, it was got a few laughs and comments on on course. <laughs> and then you took off to Iceland. Just... Yeah. That was... I mean, Iceland itself is just an awesome place. I <laughs> recommend it anytime to anywhere for a, a holiday. It's, it's just amazing. Um, but the conditions for a race, it, it was easily the most brutal thing I've done. Um, so it was December in Iceland, so it's obviously just insanely cold. Um, but there's also about three, three and a half hours of daylight a day. So the... The, the race, it's, we got there a week before the race to kind of acclimatise to conditions and do a bit of a sightseeing trip and do all that, um, which I'm so glad we did because I I took all my like thermals and they had this giant list of mandatory gear you had to have for health and safety reasons. But I realised within the first two days being there that most of my stuff wasn't kind of, my jacket and everything was up to scratch, but like my, my gloves and all that were just, like my hands were just going to freeze um so i had to go and buy some like um some fully waterproof windproof keep you warm to minus 20 degrees kind of gloves and and kind of upskill my gear and spend the, right a few for that any rate they would have had <laughs> yeah they had, they had to buy than around uh, the shops <laughs> yeah it's they they had shops everywhere so it was it was a bit more expensive but like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do the race without it. But then I had to, obviously, had to go out and find a few ways to to test it before the race. I didn't want to be using it beforehand, uh, for the first time, kind of in the middle of a a world champ race. So I found a few um, kind of local playgrounds, and the first few days we had there were pretty good weather. And then it snowed really heavily overnight one day, and we got um, stuck in the main city for about three days because we couldn't use the roads. So we just kind of walked around for a bit and got used to the snow and found a few playgrounds and tested gloves and stuff out on random little monkey bars and things like that. So so just for people who don't know, do you want to give a rundown what the Ultra World Championships is, like how it works? Yeah. Um, so they haven't been doing it for that long. I think the, the year I did it was maybe the second year they'd done it. Um, but it's a... To qualify for it, you have to finish a Spartan Ultra race, which is any one of their standard races that's roughly 50Ks and has 60-plus obstacles, depending on which course you do. But you have to finish one of those to qualify. So I did that one in Brisbane earlier in the year, and that got me there. Um, And then this race was in, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the place, but (laughs) some crazy long name in Iceland, um, just out of the main city of Reykjavik. And there were 30-odd countries and a few hundred people being represented there. And we all turned up to this basically indoor soccer stadium that was all artificial grassed. And that was kind of our base for the for the race. And so the race is about a 10 or 11-kilometer loop. So kind of like a standard Spartan super course, I guess. Um, and the race starts at 
midday and you've got 24 hours to do as many laps of the course as you can. Um, but what was different about that compared to the world's toughest mudder is with world's toughest, they they give you 24 hours, but they give you a kind of hour and a half <laughs> grace period afterwards that if you're already on a lap, you've got this time to finish the lap. You just can't start a new one. With with Spartan, they had an actual designated finish line. So every time you finished a lap, you chose to either go back into the tent to prepare yourself for another lap or you crossed the finish line. And once you crossed the finish line, you were done. And if you were still on course at 24 hours, you were disqualified. Huh. So you had to... Work it out. You had to work it out. Because I, I ended up finishing the race in 21 hours and my lap my last lap that I did took me just under three hours so I would have had to do my next lap <clears throat> just a few minutes quicker than that one to get back in time and it wasn't wasn't worth the risk of mm -hmm. if something goes wrong and I fail things and I or I get injured or I just completely run out of energy I I might cross after the 24-hour mark and be disqualified so it wasn't you were kind of weighing up things like that the whole time trying to figure out tactics and whether you were whether you're going to be able to make it back Ah. Um, How do they do obstacles? In terms, do they have the thirty burpee penalty Spartan style? They, they did, but they did. Um, again, they did it differently. So for, um, they had three different categories. They had elite, age group, and then open. Um, everyone in open did, did their burpees at the obstacle they failed them at, just because I was guess that was, there was no prize money or placings. It was just kind of people to, fill in the gaps. Um, but everyone else had, you would carry around a, like a white piece of card with you and that was your responsibility and you got a new one each lap and there were, there were three different types of obstacles on the course. There were the kind of things like cargo nets and walls and barbed wire that were just mandatory completion, had to complete it. You can't go any further in the race if you don't get past this kind of thing. Um, and then there were a few penalty obstacles like rope climbs and um like sandbags and buckets and all that sort of stuff that if you didn't think you could finish or you couldn't climb the rope you'd make you do a, a penalty loop or make you do something else and then they had six burpee obstacles per lap so they were the um olympus tyrolean traverse um multi-rig spear throw twister and hercules hoist mm -hmm. um and each one of those obstacles had a marshal at it with a different hole punch. So someone would have a star, someone would have a circle, a square, and then you had to, at the end of every lap, you would come back and give your card to a marshal. And they would go, okay, you've got three holes in it, so it means you failed three obstacles. You now have to do three times 30 burpees, do all of your 90 burpees now. Oh, wow. um, and so they did that so they could have all these cameras set up and film everyone doing them because they had quite harsh penalties for anyone who was caught doing less burpees than what they were supposed to so yeah that i got lucky and that kind of worked in my favor because i didn't fail a lot of things but i i had a friend who failed um four obstacles on the first lap so i had to do 120 burpees straight away before he could continue on to the start of the second lap um, and then at, at midnight, they, they dropped the penalty from 30 down to 15 per fail, just to make it a bit 
bit more manageable. So they still have some people <laughs> running in the morning. <laughs> yeah, um, but it, that was also they. Um, it was your your card was your responsibility. So if you finished all the obstacles but somehow lost the piece of paper on your way back, you had no proof. So it was you were constantly like every few minutes just kind of tapping your jacket, being like, "Yep, my my card's still there. I haven't." like going back to put it back in my pocket and it's fallen out or so that was yeah it was just a whole nother element to think about the whole time that you've got this this precious little piece of card which is like the difference between how much energy you're going to use at the end if you've passed everything or not so did they have water obstacles because look you look wet in some of your photos mm. um, or is that just the snow melting from it, it was this it would have been the snow um Okay. So I tried to find a, a good photo of the course, but it was, or at least find one that showed the the difference between the base where we were and then the hill that we went up. But the the course itself was kind of the first K or so was reasonably flat and had like a few tire pull obstacles and a few walls and hurdles and stuff. And then you basically didn't have an obstacle for about two K, and you just went straight up the side of this cliff, which was. Um, they had a whole bunch of waratahs and ropes and you were just pulling yourself up on ropes because it was it was just rocks and snow and it was just crazy to be trying to race up it um, and then you'd get to the top of this thing and it would just the first lap because no one's been up there it was close to knee-deep snow and everyone's just running through it and after a few laps it's been compacted and there was a pretty distinct track that everyone was following um, and then you'd get to the other side and you'd have to come down this ridiculously steep, slippery section. And it was about halfway through the race where they they basically had an ambulance parked at the bottom of the hill because so many people were falling and just slipping and injuring themselves. They had to, halfway through the race, they had to send a bunch of marshals up with extra waratahs and rope and create, create a few more places for people to hold on to things because everyone was just... Once you'd taken the first layer of dirt off, it was just it was just ice underneath, and no one could stay on their feet. Feet. And then in the last the last maybe three or four hours of the race, they um they let us put crampons on so we could put those little spikes on our shoes for for the snow section. You had to put them on at the bottom of the hill <clears> and <throat> take them back off when you got back to the bottom. But for the whole race, we were carrying them around, just waiting for them to let us use them. But they they said we couldn't until right at the end when too many people were getting injured. Yeah. So you got looking at your results, you got tenth overall and eighth male. Yeah. That's that and was the first that was, person for the Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, that was that was never part of the plan at all. My my goal was to get um to get fifty miles, which I did. But yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about placings at all because there were um there were quite a lot of big names at that event. There was Ryan Atkins and John Albin. And so is that the one they went for their million dollars? That's yeah, that's the the one that if they if someone did a hundred miles, they got um, Joe DeSena, who's the owner of Spartan, was going to give them a million dollars because he didn't think it was possible, and he was right. <laughs> I think Ryan Atkins got the closest, and he got eighty three, and he was he was broken <laughs> after that. Um, but yeah, I did. 55 i think which was about 95k so i was gonna say you got 95k on the email you sent me yeah which is a long way 
yeah, especially in the in the snow and in about minus twelve degrees and everything and the and the dark. It was yeah, seventeen hours of that was in the dark. Yeah, I looked at that and I thought, oh, December, that's a nice time of the year, but I forgot that's the northern hemisphere, so it's the opposite to here. You're yeah, right. it was <laughs> it was snow and it was yeah, you're talking minus ten to minus fifteen, and then the wind picks up and it's it's yeah, daylight from what sunrise is at about 11 30 or 12 and then by three o'clock it's gone again it's mm. crazy it's messes with you completely with jet lag you just got no idea what what time it is what's happening but it would have been a good experience you plan on going back oh i'd love to go back i don't know if i would go back for a race again i think i'd the way that broke me i <laughs> i don't know if i could handle it now they've had even more injuries but i'd I definitely go back to to visit the place and right. i definitely want to do more ultras i'm just not sure if i'd put myself through, through <laughs> something that. that something that brutal again that was <clears throat> that was that was hard on just every level even just but um because you guys have you guys done spartan races or yep yeah see so when you do the the sandbag carries they were they were just rocks they were just solid they're just frozen. They oh, were just, fro yeah, frozen. And just just things like that just made it so much harder. Like there was there was nothing to grab onto. It was just a giant block of ice. Even the um the farmers carry like they get you to do. They usually give you like jugs of water. They were literally just blocks of ice with um with handles screwing into the top of them. It was. What about the the hoist? That would have been fun too because the rope would have been stiff and frozen. And yeah, it was um. I feel like it was just heavier but it was it was it was hard yeah you just you were using a, a lot of momentum you were basically pulling yourself up the rope to a standing position and then and then falling over to lift it that kind of meter and a half and then holding it there and standing back up again <laughs> i actually made a mistake on the the first lap because um the rope <coughs> that i had been practicing a lot of my rope climbing on back here was kind of one of those really thick sturdy ropes but all the ones that they use are those quite thin ones and so the very first lap on the the rope climb i climbed up it got to the top and just kind of let go the amount that i'm used to letting go just from kind of muscle memory and forgot that it's just a way skinnier rope and just just basically started falling and out of panic just clamped on and burnt both my hands to the point of blood on the like mm. about an hour into the race and and was and i mean because you've, you've got gloves so you, you're basically taking your gloves off for anything that was grip related shoving yep. them in your pockets doing their obstacle and putting them back on but by then i was kind of into the first lap i was bleeding into my gloves and really know what i was going to do um but luckily my my partner that was with me at the time was um a registered nurse so every lap she would spend about five minutes bandaging my hands up and putting new new kind of wraps back on them and before, before sending me back out again sending you back out yeah so, so 95 go so you did a bit about eight laps or did eight laps yeah i did eight laps they um i forgot to mention but they do a a 5k just running section at the start so they send you off kind of down the road and into the local town and back just to spread the field out a bit before you head into obstacles so yeah it was about a about an 11k loop but with that 5k extra at the start to kind of get up to kind of 93 95k okay okay and then from there it looks like you've caught well 
most of the things you put on your email, it looks like you've just concentrated on anything over 100 miles or up 100 miles. <laughs> yeah. So we're a couple of times. Mm. So I, I ended up having to take quite a big break. I ended up doing um, nerve damage basically the entire way down my right leg from, from Iceland. So I didn't run um, until basically June the next year. Um, and then, yeah, just decided that that took a lot of money and commitment and everything to to get to Iceland. So I spent kind of most of that year just focusing on running and um, finishing off my my studies, I guess. Um, and then, yeah, once I kind of got everything back on track and done all that, I just found a, a local race that it was kind of something that was always on my list to look at to do. And So have um, you done any other Tarawera's like the shorter ones before, or you just decided the hundred mile was a good place to start? <laughs> yeah, just just jumped straight into the biggest one. Hadn't done the others at all. Um, I hadn't I hadn't done an ultra that didn't involve an obstacle at that point. Because I was going to say, because all the other ultras you've done have been Spartans and everything, so they're all around. Yeah. Oh, you've done eighty miles, which is how many in the world's toughest in eighty miles? How many obstacles would have been in that? Um, I did look it up before. It was. I think twenty one, oh, per lap. Per lap. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know if Liam went through this at all with the, with the tough mudder stuff, but they they count their total distance off how many laps you do. They don't actually measure the the actual running distance. They just, oh, they, well, we haven't actually gone through this side with Liam. We've done his coaching and all that. We're going to give him yeah. back uh, next year and go through his OCR experience. We got him to talk about coaching and 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 different things yeah so right we right had a big talk to him about it yeah so roughly with world's toughest mudder they they tried standardized the loop as a five mile loop and so if you did 10 laps you just say it's 50 miles they don't they don't actually measure it as like to an exact so uh, everything everything goes up and you either did 50 miles or you did 55 there's no kind of in between yep and that's how they you know, give people those milestone bronze and silver bibs and all that sort of thing. But the the first year they they had a few penalties for things, but they weren't very big. And the next year, the year that I did the eighty miles, they um they had a lot of penalty loops for things. So just additional running, but none of that adds to your final distance. So there was um my watch ran out of battery. So I never actually measured the whole thing, but I had a um, my Canadian friend that came 13th behind me, she had measured the whole thing and we talked about it afterwards. And I think she failed a few more things than me, but she, her watch said she'd done 160K, which is closer to 100 miles, but she had only, miles, yeah. but her official finishing time or well, distance was 80 because she'd done 16 laps. Yep. So yeah, all that, all that extra, it's, you've got to do it to get through the lap, but it doesn't actually technically doesn't count. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Uh, so my my theory was the with the Tarawera was that I'd kind of I must have run close to a hundred miles already, but it had all this other stuff in the way, so it can't be that bad. So how did you find it with no obstacles in the race? Um I had a really bad build up and that I got sick for most of January. So my training was not very good. Um I actually got told by my doctor the week before that he he advised me not to do it <laughs> um but i thought i'd 
like spend most of the year working up to it that I just turn up and kind of take it a bit maybe a bit easier if I if I felt like I was struggling um but it actually is really hard it's um it's completely different because you you're not getting a break at any point to say use your arms or stop at an obstacle and stretch things out you you're just constantly trying to move as fast as you well not as fast as you can but you you just never want to stop like even when you're even when you're eating you're still walking and you and you just yeah your legs just get to a point where they um liam actually was my pacer for that race so he met me at the 120k mark and did the last 45k with me and yeah he was just he was just struggling to every few k was kid kind of like lie me on the ground and stretch stretch my legs out because i just um i couldn't get up and down stairs because everything just seized up seized up mm. Mm. so yeah that, that that first year doing that was um was pretty brutal i my goal i kind of had two goals the first one was just to finish and the next one was to see how close to 24 hours i could get and i got i think 23 40 40 something so i, I just 43, got 43 you've got oh, yeah on your sounds, sounds about right third, third male was pretty under under 30 which is pretty good for your first go yeah um there's not many under 30s that do it which is oh. which kind of helps <laughs> most people um aren't that crazy yet it takes a bit of time but yeah so after i'd done that i i kind of wanted always wanted to go back and actually dedicate a, a year to it to to improve so i um i trained all of last year and went back and took about two and a half hours off the time so that was that was pretty good and just just knowing the course and what to expect made it so much easier you knew kind of roughly where the hills were and where the hard parts were and where you where you should be saving your energy and where were some where the road sections were coming up where you can make back some time and you did kepler also was that last year or the year before uh that was last year so um was it like first weekend of december last year okay that was that was that was awesome but it was also a little disappointing because it was the third time in their history that they've um, the weather was too bad, and they wouldn't let us do the the full loop. So we kind of ran oh, okay. from the the start of the the Great Walk up to the Luxmore Hut, which is the first hut, which is kind of thirteen k into the course. You kind of just sure. break through the through the tree line, get to the what's supposed to be the real stunning views, but we couldn't see anything. Um, and then you turn around and go back down, and then you run in the opposite direction um around the course basically to the to the other side of the hill and then turn around and come back oh, and then, okay. so, so okay. we we missed all the the back country bits basically spectacular part yeah i mean we couldn't see it anyway it was um the reason for it was it was the weather was too bad and um the helicopter wouldn't be able to get up if something happened to someone because that's pretty hard to get into isn't it like you've got to go yeah it um it's i think it's that year it sold out in two minutes mm um but you can put all your details in um before the the tickets go on sale and you literally just open up the website and click confirm and it's all it's all done but you do have to the tickets went on sale at like six in the morning on a saturday so you had to set an alarm and wait by your computer and hit refresh a few times so but it is yeah it is very hard to get into but that was that was kind of the start of a a big training week for me so i 
I took that whole week off and I did um I did the Kepler on the Saturday and then the next day I started the um the Milford just hiking it. And so I did that over the next four days and then and then did um a few other just standard kind of Queenstown things like the um ran up Roy's Peak and Ben Loman and then I on the next day I, I ran across the Rootburn track and back. So that was sixty sixty something K trail run for the day. And that was <laughs> That was that was crazy because it it was December when I did it, but it snowed overnight, and so <clears> I ran out, when I ran across the track in the morning, I had um, a few docked rangers stop me and say I couldn't go any further for half an hour because it was an, an avalanche risk, and so I had to sit on the side of the track in the snow in December for half an hour and wait for the snow to melt, and then <laughs> ran across to the other side and and then came back a few hours later, and it was like I was in a completely different part. It was. There was no so- snow to be seen, and it was all just sunny and blue sky and waterfalls and stuff everywhere. That was pretty crazy. Yes. You, anything else, Max, you can think of? I've come to the bottom of my email. But, uh... Okay. Yeah, I was wondering a few things. Um, yeah, do you feel like you've moved on from the OCR events, or has COVID really just thrown a spanner in them? Like, you're going to get back into OCR? You're focusing more on other forms of ultra running um no I, I definitely want to do it again um COVID has definitely ruined that a bit um i think i was always planning on having like a having a, a break or so like i did for a year but yeah i definitely want to want to get back into it me and liam have talked quite a bit about going overseas and doing doing another trifecta weekend somewhere and or yeah just doing something like that it's, i definitely i'm definitely not done with it I've kind of been unlucky well not unlucky just the the new zealand ones have always been like the ultimate athlete that was this year i was supposed to go down and do that but it was the same weekend as my my mum's 60th birthday so that was just things like that have, <coughs> have meant that i haven't been able to to get back out there but um i definitely want to what about the hardest event you've ever done um oh you mentioned iceland is it iceland's probably the hardest event yeah um yeah Iceland was the hardest not like there were elements of other races that have definitely been harder but just everything put together just the the elements the cold the darkness just the the obstacles and the amount of extra thinking you had to do about having you know trying to trying to keep your little piece of card safe and trying to worry about the time to know if you had enough time left to do another lap without getting disqualified and things like that they were all just they all just added to it. Yeah, Iceland was definitely the hardest. Mm. Yeah, the the mental side of ultra running always fascinates me as well because I think myself, I, I said on the podcast a few times that I've probably never run that far and <laughs> more of a short distance runner. But um, I was, I was thinking too, just asking about hardest events. Is there? Do you think there is a part of you that is searching? You know, you're always searching for something harder and for that challenge and trying to break yourself, basically. Is that part of what drives you, or is, is that something that's bit off? No, it is a little bit like that, because yeah. as hard as all of these races have been, I've always finished them. So there's there's never been a there's never been a point where you've stopped and given up, or um, or kind of lost sight of the whatever the goal was. So there is there's always a part that's kind of like, what's what's the next thing? I've I've kind of ticked that off. What, where can I go next? But 
I I don't know if you'd call it lucky or whether it was just how it worked, but I the first World's Toughest that me and Liam did, I actually got, well, both of us got really injured in that race. But I ended up, um, I rolled, I sprained my ankle about 10 hours into the race and spent the next 15 hours walking on it and collapsed at the finish line and got taken to hospital and got given crutches and all sorts of stuff. Um, and so everything I've done after that has just been like, this is hard, but I've done worse. And so mm. it's always just, as long as you can, from a mental side of things, if you can think of something that's, you know, you've, you've almost always been through something that's worse at some point. So you just go, oh, this isn't like I'm hurting, but it's it's not actually as bad as it probably feels. Uh, yeah, just and on that, you um, what is missing from my list here? You didn't send me. Didn't you go to Hawaii with Liam? No, I missed out on that one. Ah, oh, because he put that as one of the hardest ones he's done. And yeah, that was that was one of the ones we've talked about um, going back and doing kind of oh, okay. when when things open up again. Because because he went and did it and said it was just amazing. And mm. and Matt Ainsley's done it as well. And he yes, he kind yep. of said the same thing. Um, so that's that's on my list of. Um, we also had the the um, Kim and Andrew from that run the Alpha Challenge. Oh yeah, that, they've done um, Hawaii as well. They raved about it. Mm. I mean, it's it's the perfect excuse for a holiday and a race at the same time, really. Like, mm. I know when when Liam went, Jess's partner just you know had a week on the beach drinking cocktails while Liam was running around in the mountains, and they both had a blast. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So you mentioned well, quite a few injuries. Um, do you think your body is holding up? Still good to go? Still got a lot more events than you? Definitely, definitely still got events in me. I just have to be very careful about how I train. I when I, I can't really do as much mileage or as much repetition for certain things as I like. Like I've, I've pretty much ended everything. I've had um, torn Achilles and knee problems and hip problems. I've done the nerves most of the way down my right leg of dislocated shoulders of um done my i've uh, done my left bicep um yeah i've kind of done a bit of everything so it's kind of not a part of me that i i can just ignore i have to kind of work on everything if i want to keep doing it so that the rehab side of things takes a lot of the the training time up just to be able to keep in one piece wow must love it keeps it <laughs> back and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, my last question actually is um yeah, looking through some of the photos as well. I mean you're quite muscular, you know, strong arms, quite ripped. Um, mm. but doing lots of endurance, lots of high mileage, like do you find that hard to maintain muscle and do all the mileage or <laughs> um <laughs> I I don't I don't really know how to answer because I it, it's not real like it was always something you worked on both sides of it for the obstacle stuff but i guess with when i started doing the ultras it it was just kind of part of my training routine and so i don't i don't really focus on it but i still because of all the injuries i can't do i can't do running or leg stuff every day so i still probably have a day or two a week where i just go and keep my body ticking over and do some upper body stuff and and kind of stretch everything out so i I haven't really focused on it but it's just kind of maintained it i guess um but i did <laughs> um it's quite funny that you mentioned it because i when i did terrawera this year i i ran most of it with a guy that i met down at kepler who we ended up running most of that race together as well um, but we didn't know each other before then and he 
um, he told me he had a few people come up to him afterwards and ask him who who the the muscly runner was, and no one knew who I was, but heaps of people on course had picked out that I was basically the only one running in a singlet, and I was the only one that didn't look like a runner. (laughs) (laughs) And so heaps of people were asking who I was. Mm. But, yeah, yeah. especially for the hundred mile, hundred miler, you know, the stereotypical runner, quite, quite skinny, mm. and someone who yeah. doesn't really look in shape. But you see them run, it's like, well, but but just running that so, running so far, you know, burns a lot of calories. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah I've, um, I've had a, I've had a few people ask me, ask me things like that, like, <laughs> you know, or even just my physios and stuff, just saying that I'm a completely different build to everyone else they coach and see who does anything the same as me so i'm not sure if that's i don't know enough about it to know if that's a if that's a benefit or whether that's a kind of holds me back a bit but it hasn't seemed to bother me so far so have you got any ambitions to run longer ultras go out there and do 200 kilometers or um 200 would be 200 kilometers would be kind of just a cool thing to tick off because i i don't feel like many people have done that but um i don't think really i would go further than 100 like 200 is probably as far as i'd go i definitely don't want to do 200 miles or anything like that like that just starts getting into a, a whole nother another level of crazy with someone if you cross the finish line and someone tells you to turn around and go back and do it all again i don't think i'd be able to, to do what it what about but, something like um, one of those bigs backyard 24 hour or not 24 hmm. hours just run until you can't run anymore yeah um yeah i've got a few things like that that are kind of on my list depending on how my body holds up and how everything else looks i've um i've always wanted to do coast to coast always wanted to do an iron man um me and liam have talked a few times about god zone and about the and about the backyard thing so um yeah there's there's definitely things on the list that i want to want to try to tick off at some point and then there's just there's heaps of races overseas that you kind of put your name down for and hope that you get pulled out of the, the ballot to, yeah but it's the um uh golden state 100 miler and there's the um utmb in france and things like that yeah that, that would all be kind of bucket list events well you must have got so you would have got an entry into the utmb because your placings in tarawera this year wouldn't you i I've got an entry to the to the ballot. Ah, oh, to the ballot. Okay. Yeah, so I'll, I'll apply for that at the at the end of the year and um and see what happens. But um, I mean, it's it's so hard to get into. But mm. um, I've got the entry lasts for two years, so I can apply this year. And if I don't get in, then um, the way their ballot works is that every year that you don't get in, you get an extra ticket. Oh, so okay. if I apply if I apply this year, don't get in next year, I can apply twice. Twice. So that's that's the goal. I've got I've got two years to try and get in, but it's all it's all just luck from here. Mm. All right, I don't have anything else, Max. Anything we haven't covered? No, I think we covered a lot and <laughs> heard from about a bunch of different events and some crazy yeah. stories about yeah some some world class <laughs> events and yeah yeah it's definitely it's definitely been a pretty cool excuse to kind of travel the world and see a whole bunch of places I never thought I would so. Yep. it's done it's done more than just get me hooked on hooked on fitness it's basically been my my excuse for traveling for the last five years it's been where's a where's a crazy <laughs> race and 
how can I build a holiday around it? So a couple of questions we've asked everyone is, first of all, is there a question we haven't asked you that you want to throw out there? Is there anything you want to talk about that we haven't brought up or? Um, I feel like we've definitely covered off most of most of my stuff, but um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head that I event wise that I haven't covered off. All right. And then we'll throw you a real curveball. If you have a coffee, you can have a coffee with anyone you like, anyone in the world. Who would you like to have a coffee with? And why? Ooh. Um, nothing to do with sport at all, but no. I'd Does probably that... go. I'd probably go David Attenborough. Okay. Because I, I can't think of anyone who's probably seen more in the world really than him. He's he would have a story about basically every living thing and every place he's been. He's been everywhere. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. It certainly is. We've had uh, Liam had um, who's the coach, the running coach, Arthur Lydiot. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He would, of course, he would. He'd want to get as much knowledge as possible. I can't think who Matt picked. Um, I can't remember who Matt said he wanted to have a coffee with. Yeah, who did Matt? Pick? We just did it, didn't we? <laughs> we just yeah. recorded it. Um, <laughs> he was asking for two people for next time. I can't remember who. That's he said. Right. <laughs>